All right, we are in a series on the book of John, and we've been getting through it, and we're in John 16 now. John 13, 14, 15, and 16 is Jesus's lar- the largest body of teaching we have of Jesus, and it's at the Last Supper, and after the Last Supper, now we're after the Last Supper, they're walking through the Valley of Kidron, they're uh, um, heading, and Jesus is going to be arrested not too long from now, and so he's teaching. This is the biggest... Uh, one part of teaching that we have in Scripture of Jesus directly from his mouth. And so it's, it's important because Jesus knows he's going to die. This is him saying, these are my last words. That's how important this is. And we're getting to the end of chapter 16. In chapter 17, Jesus begins praying, right? So chapter 16 is, in a sense, the end of the formal, the end of the teaching. And so it's coming to a crescendo. It's coming to where he's going to close it and say, this is it. All of this stuff that I've been teaching you, this is where it leads to this point. And we're at that point right now. I'm so excited about this because it's, it's, it can be really cool. And, and so this is where we are. And I, I think what's important here, because it's going to be, we're going to be talking about peace. This is such a, incredible idea for us, important idea for us, because we all have this sense at times. We understand this world is not as it should be. We see it. You just, just watch the news for 10 minutes. This world is not as it should be. There's evil and hatred and pain and suffering. And, and I was thinking about this because I'm a history nut. And so I was thinking it wasn't that long ago, just a little over 100 years ago, the world fought the war. They called it the war to end all wars. This war is going to end war forever. World War I. And in the war to end all war, one of the things they were saying as, they were, as the war was winding down and people were saying, this is it, we're never going to do this. We've learned, you know, uh, we're never going to use, uh, one of the things they talked about, we're never going to use weapons of mass destruction. Never going to use those. Um, and specifically for them, those were gas attacks where the gas would just come you know, wafting across the field and, and people would just drop. It was just, it was horrible. It was horrific. And those images in their minds said, this is it. And you know, it was just a few years ago that that same type of gas was being used in Syria on Syrians by their government. A hundred years later, it's still happening. And now we see Ukraine. I mean, we see all of this stuff, all this, the, the, the different wars that are going on. Some have been lasting for quite a few years in Africa and in different places. And we look back at the naivety of those people a hundred and something years ago and laugh and think, what were they thinking? But my worry is people are going to look back a hundred years from now at us and laugh and go, what were they thinking? They thought, They thought they found it. And Jesus is saying in the midst of all this, he was saying it 100 years ago, he was saying it 2,000 years ago, no, no, there is a peace. There is a peace that's available. It is not naive. You can have it. And and the disciples here, they're in turmoil. I mean, understandably, Jesus is telling them things that are just blowing them away. They don't like what he's saying. It's a funny thing when we get in a situation like that. You ever been in that situation? You go, God, I, I don't like what you're saying. I don't like this. That's where they're at. They're not liking how things are looking. They're not at peace. And interesting, it just occurred to me as I was studying this, 
all of this is happening in Jerusalem, the city of peace. And they're experiencing no peace. The city of Shalom. And we're just like the disciples. We want peace. Peace for the fear, for the anxiety, for sometimes the despair that can grip us. We want to have confidence. We want to have this inner quiet. We want to have poise. We want to have groundedness. We want to have peace. And we see in this passage, Jesus is saying, here it is. It's available for you. Now, remember in all of this, because Jesus has already been teaching them a number of things, and one of the things he's teaching them, has been teaching them, is about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit brings the word to life in people's lives. The Holy Spirit strengthens and empowers people. This is, gonna, this is part of the key of how this can happen. And so I want you to see first thing. We're going to see the love of the Father. All right? The love of the Father. That's verses 25 to 27. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Now he's saying something interesting here, and it can be a little hard to understand. Because, and Jesus has been using parables in the past, and now he's getting more and more plain. He's saying it's coming. I'm going to be very plain. It's coming probably after the resurrection. But in verse 26, it indicates that they will come directly to the Father on the basis of what Jesus has done for them. He's telling them, you can go directly to the Father, directly to the throne of God. You know, in the Old Testament, a prophet went directly to the throne of God and he said, woe is me, I am undone. He, literally, in Hebrew, that means my body is coming apart because I am a sinner. And now Jesus is saying, you can go now directly to the throne. You will not be undone. As believers, we can come to God based on the righteousness of Christ in us. You know, this is really incredible. And it's talked about, it's hinted at in various parts of scriptures, that idea now. And, and I talk about it, I know, that idea that we can get face to face with God. That idea that when you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, when you begin to pray, God hushes everything and says, my daughter is talking to me. Everyone be quiet. One of my favorite stories is um, Abraham Lincoln. And they were, he was meeting with his, his cabinet and they were talking about the war. Obviously, this was a huge thing going on. And it was at a very difficult time. They just... Uh, suffered some staggering losses, and things looked pretty uh, desperate. And as they're talking, the door to the side opens, and this little head peeks in, and it's his son, Tad. And I think at the time, he was about five years old. And he's like, Daddy! Daddy! And, and, and uh, I think it was Seward, one of his cabinet members, was coming over going, no, no, not now, not now. This, this, is, this, is, this is important. This is important. Not now. And Lincoln stopped him and said, no. Now, come here. Come here, son. And he got down, which was, he was a tall guy, he got down. What is it? And his son, we don't even know. His son just started telling us something. And he was like, yes, you can. And he scampered off. Why? What, did, what was Abraham Lincoln saying there? No, this is not as important as my son. It's not as important as my son. It's not as important as my daughter. That's God to you. 
Scripture is clear about that. That's God to you. You're incredibly, incredibly important to him. When you come to him, he's all ears. He's listening. He's all in. He's face to face with you. What is it? And anybody who is, has young kids, you know, sometimes when you say, what is it? It is something dumb. It's something ridiculous. You know, it's something. And, and, and you know what? I, I don't know if you, I just go, oh, wow. I'm all in. Because this is my kid. And it's important to my kid. That's God. That's God to you. This is the love of the Father. I want you to see that. This is the love of the Father. Jesus has been teaching about this. And this is more, just he's reiterating a lot that he said. Now I want you to see the love of the Son. That's in verses 28 to 32. We're going to just do 28 here right at the beginning. I came from the Father and entered into the world, entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Now, I wanted to tell you something. This is an astounding verse. If you stop and kind of think about what this verse is saying, this is an astounding, because this is a summary of everything Jesus has taught. This is almost, in a sense, a summary of the Bible. In one sentence, that's amazing. It's kind of breathtaking. You, we could do a huge, long sermon just on this verse, but we're not. Don't worry. A couple of you were like, oh, crap, what time is it? No, we won't. But I want you to see there's four things from here that encompass the totality of eternity, of the world. First of all, look at Jesus came from the Father. This is his preexistence as a part of the Godhead right? He's saying, I was there. I was there. I was there when the earth came into existence. In fact, he was, there's good reason to believe he was the one that created the earth. We have these incredible passages that talk about this. In John 17, we're going to see him praying, and it's even more pronounced when we get to that, because this statement is a part of his claim to be God. And you know, I know in this day, you know, there's a lot of people who will say, oh, man, yeah, I love the teachings of Jesus. I, I love, man, he teaches on love. He teaches on forgiveness. He's a great teacher. He, he, he was a martyr, an example, a leader. I like those things. But I, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't God. He wasn't God. That, that's very popular in our day. And I want to tell you something. Jesus as a great teacher, as a martyr, as a leader, as an example, that will not help you overcome the world and find peace. It won't do it. It's not enough. There have been other great teachers and leaders and martyrs. It won't help you overcome the world and find peace because overcoming the world means dancing on an empty grave. Overcoming the world means, uh, last week, stomping on death. And Jesus is saying this, if you, if, you, if you want part of it, you've got to take all of it, all of his teachings, because he's saying, I'm God. And people who are wise teachers don't make assertions like that, right? They didn't then, they don't now. It's a blanket assertion of truth. And uh, for some people, it seems so arrogant. It seems so exclusive, but the problem is, if he's not God, then he's a liar. 
and we are wasting our time, these teachings are worthless. Because he, he makes claims that we can't ignore. All right? And so the first thing is, he's, he's talking about that. He says he came from the Father. Then the second thing he tells them is he entered the world. This is the incarnation. This is Jesus coming to the world as a real human being. You know, there is a genre in literature <clears throat> where sometimes authors write themselves into the story of the book they're writing. It, it happens in movies, too. If you ever saw the movie Stranger Than Fiction, if you haven't, it's kind of a cool movie, Stranger Than Fiction. Will Ferrell plays this kind of nondescript guy. He just has a desk job, <clears throat> and all of a sudden he starts hearing his life being whispered in his ears, things he's going to do, uh, things he's thinking and what happens? It's Emma Thompson plays a writer. She's writing this book, and it turns out that, in a, you know, it's a, one of those crazy ones. It's coming alive. And at the end, she's planning to kill him off. And he finds out, I'm in someone's book. And he starts working through it. The whole movie is him working through this. And, and um, <clears throat> finally, he finds her, and he says, please don't kill me. And she's flabbergasted at this. She goes, you know, this is, you know, she can't believe it. And she begins to like him and feel bad for him. And so she changes the ending. She gets into the story and changes the ending. Dorothy Sayers has a famous uh, story. She was a, a crime novelist in the early 20th century. <clears throat> and Dorothy Sayers created this man who was this brilliant um, detective. But, and, and he did these incredible things, you know, kind of almost like, you know, Sherlock Holmes or something. It was just brilliant. And, uh, and he had fame and glory and, and riches and all this from these things. And, but he was always lonely, struggling with love. And she writes a woman into the story. And in this story, this woman is the first woman to have graduated from Oxford. Dorothy Sayers was the first woman to graduate from Oxford. And this woman, and suddenly there's these peculiar things that are just like her. And he falls in love with her. And suddenly is incredibly happy. She wrote herself into the story because she felt bad for him. And she wanted to be a part, and in a sense, to be his savior. This is what God's doing. He's writing himself into our story. He came down. He entered the world. He looked down and he said, and I mean, you know, we're talking about God and so I can't express, but he, and he said, this is, this is a mess that needs to be fixed. These people are, so, I need to, who will go? And Jesus said, I'll go. And so we see, first of all, that uh, Jesus was with the Father. Now he's entered the world. And then the third thing he says is, now I'm leaving. And this points to the cross. This is his plan. And again, we have to emphasize here, he is in total control. John 15, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay down my life. He's in total control here. There's no obligation. There's no requirement. This is pure voluntary love. Now I'm leaving. And then he says, I'm going to the Father. And so this kind of is the resurrection leading into the ascension. 
It's a change in location, but not just a change in location. Because scripture tells us, and Jesus, Jesus taught us, he then becomes our advocate. Now this is a, a metaphor we've talked about a lot, but let me just kind of say real quickly, we're sinners, God is holy, therefore we can't stand before him. Because of what Jesus has done, we can. When you accept Jesus as your savior, then when God the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus. The righteousness of Jesus becomes our righteousness. The goodness of Jesus becomes our goodness. The holiness of Jesus becomes our holiness. The wisdom of Jesus becomes our, our wisdom. God sees him in you. And so you're not just forgiven, which is awesome in and of itself, but you're not just forgiven. You are loved. It says, it tells us, scripture tells us, he loves us like he loved Jesus, the same love. That's astounding. Because, you know, we don't always feel so loved, do we? We don't feel lovely. And it's telling us you're loved, you're adored. You're adored. And that can be hard. One of the reasons why it's hard is because we see what's going on. And we see ourselves. You know, the age of the internet has taught us a lot about ourselves. One of the big things going on now that's been a constant struggle is how do we handle online abuse? How do we deal with online abuse? Where does someone's right to say what they think end because it becomes you know, aggressive or oppressive or hurtful or painful? And there is no easy answer. They have, we haven't found it, have we? It's not, if you, not if you've been online much. You see, we haven't found it at all. The anonymity of the internet has shown us that we are far more wicked than we ever dared to think before. See, we don't need one more good moral teacher to tell us to love one another. We know that. We all know we need to love one another. The problem is not knowledge. The problem is we can't do it. We can't fix ourselves. So we don't need another teacher, we need a savior. We need a savior who gives us a new heart. And this is what Jesus says, this is it. And I want you to see here, those four things we just looked at in verse 28, that's, that's pure doctrine. That's pure doctrine. I one time was talking to somebody, he said, let's get past the doctrines and let's just talk about Jesus. And I was like, um, if we're gonna talk about Jesus, doctrine is what we're talking. You can't get around it, right? So this is doctrine. And those four statements are all about the doctrine of Christ. And the doctrine is the key to knowing the peace that is transcendent. Verse 29, then Jesus' disciples said, now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. They're saying, now we believe. This, you, you just made it plain, we're in. We're in. And here Jesus says, do you now believe? This is, really? That's what he's saying. Do you now believe, Jesus replied, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Jesus answers very ironically here. Jesus doesn't use irony very often. 
but he does use it. And this is one of those times, which side note for us is, by the way, it's okay to use irony, just don't use it too much. He says, you will abandon me. If you really understood this fully, you would not be afraid of the world. If you understood what I just said in verse 28, you would not be afraid of the world. If you really understood that, and he's warning us, along with them, you're not as strong as you think you are. So he tells them, you'll run, you'll abandon me. They're still thinking in terms of an earthly kingdom. They have this illusion of how Jesus should act, and it is shattered. It is shattered. They will doubt when things get tough. They will doubt his word. They will doubt his goodness. They will doubt his plan because they have this illusion of how he should work. And I want you to see, in 31 and 32, he is being actually very loving towards them. He's not saying this to humiliate them. He's not shaming them. He's telling them this to assure them of his love. He's saying, I know all this. I know what you're going to do. I still love you. You're about, you're about to desert me. You're about to hurt me bitterly. And I still love you. I still love you. It makes me think, for me, what illusions do we hold on to, do I hold on to, that need to be shattered so that we can experience the peace that he offers? Because these illusions are ways we hide from God and pursue our own foolish ideas of how to find like peace or safety or comfort. Like, like Adam and Eve hiding in the... Uh, hiding in the garden, thinking they could hide from God. Sometimes I play hide and seek with my little grandsons. And uh, the last time we played, it was at our house. And so they said, you hide first, Pops. And so I, I tried to, knowing, <laughs> knowing the opposition, you know, you try to deal with that. I, so I tried to make as much noise as I could as I went down the hall into the bathroom, opened the curtain of the bathtub, shower and closed it loudly, right? Just to try to, right? I didn't want to stand in there too long. I stood in there too long. They come trooping around. They open the bathroom door. Nope, not in here. I'm like, oh, oh, this is going to be tough, right? And they, they go, they start, they go places that I told them, I promise you I won't hide in the garage. They want to go look in the garage. I promise you I don't hide upstairs. They went upstairs and they're looking around. And so finally, any parent here, you know what happens next. You start making noises. <laughs> what is that? I hear little feet running, you know, and so I'm outside the, they're outside the bathroom and I make a little noise, but he's not in the bathroom. We already looked. It sounds like it's coming from the bathroom. So I'm going, it's in the bathroom. They come in. Pops, you're such a good hider. Oh, okay, okay. So then I say, all right, you guys hide. I'll look for you. Dun, 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 dun. Bathroom door opens. Drape of the bathroom curtain opens. They pull it shut. They hid where I hid. I want to tell you that my, kid, my grandkids are brilliant and they're going to be just like scientists someday, but I'm worried. I'm worried about it. Because they hid where I hid, and so 
I have to go, okay, now this is going to prolong it. I've got to go search all the places I know they're not. I open the bathroom door. I go, oh, they're not in here. And they go, <laughs> you know, I'm walking around. So I walk around a little bit and they start making noises like they're helping me. So thoughtful. We have this illusion that we can somehow get away with things. And God is like pops going, man, you're dumb. Man, man, I feel so bad for your parents. You know, I just, I just and, and, and I don't think God says, man, you're dumb. But I think sometimes God goes, oh, Bob, really? Really? That's just what Jesus said, really? So we have these illusions of what we need or what we'd like to have, or how we'd like to be. Like, you know, the most popular show on television in history probably maybe is Friends, right? Here it is, six people that live in an 8,000 square foot apartment in the middle of New York City and none of them work. You talk about an illusion. That's it right there. That's it right there. Their living room is as big as my house. I'm taking that away from you. But what we really want is what Paul talks about. Paul talks about being content in all circumstances, right? Man, I, hear, I, I want a peace that is not dependent on circumstances. That's what I want. Why do I want that? Because we are eternal beings. This is so important for us to remember. And the things that are not eternal will turn into rubble. They will crumble. They are not worth it. Jesus, when he, when he came into Jerusalem, at one point he weeps over Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long I want, I wanted to gather, how I long to gather you, right? And show you peace. But you would not accept it. You would not accept it. They wouldn't accept it. The Sadducees, who didn't believe in a, in a resurrection. They were, they were all about, just make it here. Do the best you can while you're here. You only get one life, do the best with it. You know, And they would, they would become collaborators with the Romans for the sake of money. And just because, I mean, what else are we gonna do? This is the best way to make money and be comfortable and be happy, right? And then the Pharisees, and every one of them had their thing. And, and, and Jesus is looking at all this that all these people have in Jerusalem. He goes, this is all gonna be rubble. This is all going to be rubble. And he tells them, that he, he predicts it. And 40 years later, the Romans come and raise the city. They said, the Roman general said, one stone is le not left on top of another. The whole place was reduced to rubble. Jesus said, you have this illusion. You think this is what you need. You're, this is the wrong thing. I'm offering you this peace. Paul calls it the peace that passes understanding. When we become enamored and besotted with the things around us, we are saying, I do not believe I am eternal. Okay, I know, besotted, I know, okay? As soon as I wrote that, I, that's, I love that word. I love words. I love that word. That word besotted means to become infatuated in, in, a, in a huge degree, to be overly infatuated, to where you just, it's all, you're all about it. When we become enamored, I'll say, and infatuated with the things around us, we are saying, I do not believe I'm eternal. 
That's what's going on when we do that. So, Jesus is telling them, look, I'm bringing this peace. It's the peace you all know you need. It's what you want. It's what your heart cries for. Whether you're a Christian or, or you're an atheist or anything in between, your heart is crying for it. You can't deny it. What amazes me is how that is riddled throughout literature written by people who do not believe in God. One of the greatest poets of the 20th century for, for, for Americans um, was a man named uh, Wallace Stevens. And he wrote, he wrote a poem. It's, a, it's, it's really good. He wrote a poem called Sunday Morning. And, it, and it's this person who goes out like on their porch and it's Sunday morning and they're just enjoying everything around them. Comfortable, sipping coffee, rocking in a chair, light breeze, birds are chirping, beautiful sky. There's these, you know, there's this beautiful view and it's, and it's, it's a, not a short poem and it's all about all these things. And then she says, and he says, but in contentment, in the middle of contentment, I still feel the need of some imperishable bliss. In the middle of all this contentment, I have everything life has to offer. I have my health, I have my wealth, I have a place, I have beauty, I have all of these things, and my heart's going, there's something more. There's something more. There is something that's more. And Jesus is saying here, it's me. It's me. I can give you what you long for. So the third point, is the peace that this love brings. The peace that this love's, love brings. And, and this is the last sentence of this whole sermon. This is the crescendo. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So he says, I've told you these things. All these things he's been talking about, especially verse 28. Verse 28 is the whole sweep of biblical history. He says, I've told you these things. This is the doctrine. So now let's apply it. He's going to apply the doctrine that he's been teaching them. He's saying when we see these things, when we come to grips with these things, they, they bring peace in times of trouble because that's when we need it, right? Because after hearing all this, just remember, after hearing all of this, the disciples still failed miserably. And we do too. And you know what? We have the blessing of 2020 hindsight. We can look, we know about the resurrection. We understand it. We know the resurrection is there and we still fail. And so the situation is when there is trouble, which is the most difficult time for people, this is when we need the peace. And he says, this is what it's for. Also, and this is one of those things you don't always like to talk about, when we're in trouble is often the times when we grow the most. It's sad. I don't pray for trouble. I pray God help me learn to grow when I'm not in trouble, but I know that oftentimes it is in the difficult times that we grow the most. Why? Because we need to realize that Jesus is all we need when we are at the point that Jesus is all we got. That's what we need to realize. He's all we need when he's all we got. 
And so oftentimes we end up in that all we got situation. So key word here. I spent a lot of time on this. The word take heart, right? When you look, when you look at verse 33, I've told you the things you make peace in, this, peace in this world. In this world, you have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Now, some say take courage. Um, King James, I, says, I think, says be of good cheer, which is not what is, I think, being said there. Um, the Greek word here is thoseo, and it means to be courageous. It means to be confident, all right? It, and even then, I don't think it, that expresses, it's really hard to get the total meaning here. Oftentimes, you have these words that have this, just have this broad meaning that is hard to, to distill down to, uh, just to just a word or two. But it's this idea that you decide to be create, courageous in the face of something that would make you not want to be courageous, all right? So it's, it has this sense of not just the word create, uh, courageous. Why do I want to say that? It's not just the word courageous. It's the, it's the whole movement of me deciding to be courageous. And I, I felt like this is really hard. It's kind of hard to understand. And so I did some more research. And I did some study. I pulled out some books that I don't use as often because they, they get very kind of uh, deep and hard for me to follow. But digging into the etymology of the word, the background of this word, it came from the idea to dare to do something. To dare to do something. Now, that's an interesting thought. Jesus is saying, have the daring Dare yourself to believe this is true. Dare to rest your identity in Christ. And I think there's some illustrations of this. In Galatians 6.14, Paul says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He's saying the world has no control over me. Why? Because I'm daring to find my meaning in Jesus. He's boasting He's boasting. He said, may I never boast in anything except this. You know, I love that word too. Boasting is not the, the word we think of now. We think of people who are boasting or people who are like braggers. I'm so cool. I'm so tough. I'm so good. I'm so this. I'm so that, right? That's not, that's not what boasting was back then. Back then, the idea of boasting was declaring where your trust lay. This is what I trust. Um, in battle, it was a ritual boast. It's what you rested in. Warriors would often boast before a battle. The perfect example of that is David and Goliath, right? Goliath gets up. He talks about who he is. He talks about how puny David is. He says, what am I, a dog that you sent a kid for me? This, this is nothing. This is worthless. This is a waste. He's very, you know, he He's boasting. And then, he, and then what does he do? He boasts about his God and he curses Israel. He boasts about his gods who are going to protect him, who are going to give him strength. He's never lost a battle. He's the, great, he's the greatest. You know, he's got the, the best armor, the best weapons, the latest technology. I'm so awesome. If you want um, a modern day version, well, not modern day, World War II version of this, just watch uh, George C. Scott in the movie Patton. The opening of that is a boast. He just tells them, you know, we're going to go, we're going to win. We're not here to die for our country. We're here to get them to die for their country. 
we have the best, you know, you got all this, blah, 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 blah. we're going to kill him. That's, that's a boast. It's saying this is what we trust in. And David answers. David gives a boast. Here's David's boast. You come against me with spear, sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And then David is very clear. He, he doesn't say, I am going to kill you. He says this. He says, the Lord is going to deliver you into my hand. The Lord's going to give me the strength to cut your head off, sucker. Right? So it's, it, this is, it, that's the boasting. That's what that's talking about. We do it too. We all boast in something. We all get our strength, our confidence, our meaning in something. And it can be a lot of different things, but they all have one thing in common. They can be taken away. And then the fear of the world controls you because the world can take it away. And that's why the disciples scattered. They lost their identity. They lost their confidence. They lost their strength. But what if you dare to believe that you are loved because of the cross of Christ, not because of anything you've ever done? What if you dare to believe that? What if you dare to begin to act on that? I am loved. The eternal God of the universe adores me. Therefore, this is how I will act. This is how I will deal with this person. This is how I will deal with this situation. This is how I will deal with this heartache. Doesn't mean the heartaches still don't come. How, how will I deal with it? This, this is what Jesus is telling them. What if you dare to say, I'm going to rest my identity in what Jesus has done for me? I'm going to dare to rest in that the Father loves me. We see a perfect example of this in Romans chapter 8. I just want to read a bit of it to you. Here's Paul's boast. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. There's no condemnation for us. Jesus Christ, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? No. In all these things, we will be more than conquerors in him who loved us. For I am persuaded, which is coming from that same idea. For I have dared that neither life nor death, angels nor demons, present nor future, any powers, height, depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I have dared that. I have dared it. Jesus saying, dare this. Dare this. What if I dare to believe that I am loved, even when I don't feel it. And Jesus is telling us, he's saying, then you'll have the peace. This is where it comes from, from those who dare, from those who take the courage to jump, to step, to go. It's an incredible thing. He's offering to us. He's saying, this is possible. This isn't hope. This isn't, isn't, I hope this can work. This is, this is possible for followers of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what is possible in Jesus. 
Help us to dare. Help us to be like Paul in Romans 8, to remind ourselves of how great you love us and how everything else pales in comparison. Father, it's because that's what gets us through those times of trouble. Lord, we know even now there are people here who are going through incredibly difficult situations and troubles. There's people in hospital that are going through incredibly difficult situations. And so, Lord, I, I pray. I pray for those people who are here. I pray, I pray for Manny and Callie, Lord, as they deal with this stuff. God, that you'd encourage them and love them and give them hope. And so, Father, for all of us, we're going to leave this room. And it's easy to just kind of forget as we walk away. Help us, help us. And I pray your Holy Spirit would keep this foremost in our mind this week. When we're faced with tough decisions, tough people, tough situations, that we would dare, dare to believe that you are working, that you love us. We would dare to believe that this is not as important as we want to think it is. Help us, Father, to see things and people the way you do. And in doing that, we bring heaven to earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.